The first passage we're going to read is Matthew 14, 22 through 23. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The second one is 1 Peter um, 1, 3-7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power and being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Maddie. Appreciate that. Well, welcome. My name is John Trapp. I'm the RUF campus minister here at the University of Texas. So glad to have you all here. Um, You may have noticed if you've come to RUF a couple times. um, By the way, give it up for our music team. Aren't they killing it? I'll give it up for them. Thank you, guys. I kind of gave, I threw some new, newish kind of songs at them, and I guess at y'all tonight, um, because they, they go so well with the sermon that we're looking at. Um, but really thankful for y'all for playing. And you may have noticed at RUF, we kind of, we sing a lot of like old songs. Uh, this last song, for instance, that we just sang, um, Pensive Doubting Fearful Heart. It's a beautifully written song. It's very poetic. The first verse is, uh, essentially the author is, is writing to himself. And the author is this man named John Newton. And if you know about John Newton, he also, he's the same person who wrote Amazing Grace. And uh, if anyone believed in God's grace, if anyone would believe that God actually saves really, really bad people, it would be John Newton. Because before he became a Christian, John Newton was a slave trader. Uh, He would actually, he was one of the people who would go to Africa and rip people away from their homes and uh, put them on a boat and bring them to the new world. And John Newton, that's why you even see some of this... um, kind of sailing imagery in the verses here. Um, in the first, the first verse, he's, he's writing to himself, talking about, man, I have a pensive, a doubting, a fearful heart. But listen to what Christ the Savior says. And all the rest of these verses are Jesus speaking back to him, uh, as we see how he's revealed in Scripture. And look at the last, the last verse. Though afflicted, tempest-tossed, this is the boat imagery, 
Comfortless a while thou art, do not think thou can be lost. Thou art graven on my heart. All thy walls I will repair, thou shalt be built, rebuilt anew. And in thee it shall appear what a God of love can do. Um, man, one of the reasons we sing these old songs is because we, we actually think that there's just a lot of richness in, uh, in the words. And it also connects us to Christians who've gone before us. And one of the things that's helpful to see in the Christians who've gone before us is that they really admit their brokenness and their need for God. And we kinda, you can like look at a picture of John Newton, and he he's like, kind of looks stuffy, and he's got his top button button, and he's got like the wig thing, and like he looks like this theologian. But he's like, no, I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. And that's kind of what, when we gather around God's word here at RUF, that's kind of one thing that we want to all acknowledge is whether you're here for the first time, if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, if you're here and just, you're just kind of checking it out, or this is, you've been here every week of college, one of the things that we acknowledge at RUF is that all of us equally need God's grace. And that's what John Newton acknowledges here in this passage. And that's what we're going to look at tonight uh, as we consider more of who Jesus is through the eyes of this man named Simon Peter. That's who we're looking at this whole semester. Jesus through the eyes of Peter. And so uh, before we dive into this passage that Maddie read for us, let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our heart would be holy and pleasing to you. Would you be with us? We need your help. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one of my very best friends, really from childhood, um, growing up in Alabama and until uh, now is this guy named Joe. Some of you know him. He actually was playing music here a couple weeks ago. He's a musician, and he came up from Houston to help me out for uh, kind of our first big RUF. Well, Joe's job is he he works for this ministry called Reformed Youth Ministries, and they do these conferences all over the country in the summer. And if any of y'all are actually ever interested in helping with them or being an intern. They have paid internships. It's a really great experience. You get to go to a lot of cool places. Um, So I'd love to hook you up with that. But Joe told me this story. I'm going to tell you two stories of when my friend Joe almost died tonight. So this is the first one, okay? And he really almost died. So one of the things that he does for, uh, for RYM is they go and do not just youth ministry conferences for like middle school and high schoolers, but they also do these youth leader training conferences for like youth group leaders. And they were doing one in Nashville and he had shown up. He's kind of like getting all the things moved in for the camp that week. And they were going to have dessert and uh, in the kitchen, in the dining hall. And they had gotten, he had like two of those huge, like five gallon ice cream buckets, you know, that you get at Costco. And he said he's kind of like carrying them in, and it's just Joe and another person who works for RYM named Kevin, and they've showed up, and they're just kind of moving stuff out of Kevin's car, and Joe's the first person to walk into the dining hall of this really big camp, and all the lights are out. And he's kind of, it's, it'd be like being in this big room with all the lights out. You know there's just that creepy feeling when you're in a big dark room by yourself? And he's got the ice cream under both arms, and he's like, hello, hello, and no one's saying anything, so he... He's looking for where to put this ice cream, and he walks farther back through the dining hall into the kitchen. Hello, hello. And now it's pitch black dark. He can't find his phone to turn the light on. 
Uh, and there's no windows back in those camp kitchens. If you've ever been in one of those things before, you know that there's no windows at all in there. And it's pitch dark. Hello, hello. And he finally kind of elbow, gets his elbow up against the wall and like flips the light on. And there's an old man standing in the middle of the room. <laughs> yeah. And Joe kind of like jumps back. <laughs> He's like, oh. And it kind of like laughs and like trying to be chill about it. And Joe said, hey, um, is there somewhere I can put this ice cream? And the guy just kind of looks at him. And he, Joe says, he doesn't say a word for 10 seconds. Just staring at him, this old man. And then he goes, you can put your ice cream in my freezer. And Joe's like, thanks? Okay. And the guy just turns around and starts walking to the back of the kitchen. And so Joe follows him. And the guy walks into their big walk-in refrigerator. And it would be about the size of that stage. It's a big walk-in refrigerator with all the camp, you know, food and stuff. And Joe just follows the guy in. And then the guy opens in the back of that refrigerator. There's like a, a much smaller room. And it's like the blast freezer, like zero degrees, super cold freezer. It's about the size of like a broom closet. And the guy opens the door, and Joe walks in with the ice cream, puts them down, and he's like, hey, thanks so much, man, and turns around, and the freezer door is shutting closed. Slam shut. And Joe's like, that was kind of weird, but surely I can get out. And he goes to open the door, and the door won't move. And he's like, that's weird. And he kind of looks around the window, and he's like, whatever, I'll just call Kevin. And he pulls out his phone, and then he realizes he's in a big metal box. And there's no cell phone service in this freezer. And he's wearing flip-flops and shorts. And at that point, he starts to shiver. And he realizes, I'm not sure how long I'll survive in here. And so guess what he does? Boom, 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 right? He just starts beating on the door. Help, help, help. And he said, he was like, I, John, I totally lost it. I mean, he's married with three kids. He's like thinking about how like his kids are going to find out his dad, their dad like became a popsicle at this camp, Wigiwagon in Nashville, Tennessee, you know? And he's hammering on the door for like a minute. And he said at this point, like, he's like, I'm screaming so much. I'm crying. I'm like, tears are in my eyes. I'm totally totally panicked and nobody is coming at all and finally the man the old man's face just appears in the window <laughs> right <laughs> Joe's like oh man thanks you kind of left me there I, I was freaking out I can't get out and the guy goes did you try pushing the door and Joe's like push and the door just opens right up <laughs> He just felt so embarrassing that it's just like tough old Tennessee boys just kind of give him a hard time. I tell you that story because in that moment, when Joe thought that it was up to him to save himself, he became pretty hopeless. And this is kind of what we're like. Something scary can happen to us. We can come in contact with a storm in our life like Peter does here. And we start to trust ourselves. And what that trust looks like is us, pan- with pan- sheer panic running through our body, pulling on a door that doesn't open when you pull on it. 
and what that ends and what it would have ended in with Joe is his demise. Because salvation, the Bible would suggest that salvation only comes through one thing. For, it comes through crying out for help. And so I want to look at two things tonight. First, I want to look at life's storms. And second, I want to look at God's salvation. Life's storms and God's salvation. So first off, life's storms. There's this misconception that I think a lot of us, including myself, have had about what Christianity really is. And I think it's really pervasive in America, especially. And the misconception is, what does it mean to be blessed? Like, what is the, what is the biblical image for blessing from God? Because, I mean, if you think about the way that we define blessing, we have, we have a hashtag for it, right? Like, some, it, it's, our, it's the wonderful, humble brag of all Christians to just throw up a hashtag blessed on whatever amazing vacation they're on or new car that their daddy got them or like whatever it is. I'm so hashtag blessed, you guys. And it's, it has seeped into our theology. You know, if you're faith, God wants to bless you, but you've got to be faithful. If you're faithful, God will, will bless you. He's just waiting on you to be faithful to him, and then he's going to bless you. And even like in, in just random conversation, like I'll be playing golf and hit like a terrible shot, which pretty much always happens when I'm playing golf. And I get like a lucky bounce, and someone would, might say something like, well, someone's been living right. You know? Like as if, as if because, or my favorite one, if you're playing with pastors, they'll be like, someone's been having their quiet time. You know? Because <laughs> you got a good bounce. Because that's what, that's what happens. Like because you've been good, Y'all can use that joke. It's an old pastor joke. But anyway, like if, if I've been doing well, then God is going to bless me. But here's the thing. Here's where we find Peter in this story. Peter's just done one of the most amazing things ever. The story right before Matthew 14, verse 22, that happens is Jesus feeds 5,000 people fish and bread. And the people who are handing out the fish and bread are his 12 disciples. And Peter's one of them. Peter just got to be, it's the only miracle that's in every single one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was an amazing feat that thousands of people witnessed. And so you just imagine the disciples are probably on this kind of spiritual high. Like, man, we have been so faithful. Remember when Jesus took those, like, a few pieces of bread and a couple fish, and he was like, I'm going to feed everyone with this? And we were like, yeah, okay, we'll help. Like, we were faithful. We believed that he could do it. And now they find themselves in this boat. And a storm comes upon them in verse 24. And it says that they're rowing and rowing and they're not getting anywhere because the wind is against them. And look, I know a lot of y'all's stories. I've, I've had the pleasure of getting to know. I don't know everyone's stories. I would love to get to know more of yours. But from the people that I do know here, that have gotten the pleasure to know from having coffee or lunch or whatever, a lot of you have been through some storms. Or maybe you're in them right now. And perhaps it feels like you're rowing against the wind like the disciples are here. And the Bible claims, the Bible claims that this is a human condition. You can't save yourself from the storm. 
You can't save yourself from the storm. It's like rowing against the wind. It's like pulling on a door that needs to be pushed. You can't save yourself. And Peter especially learns this. Because we see in verse 27, this kind of crazy thing happens. The disciples are in the boat alone. Jesus has he's done this amazing miracle, and then he withdraws to pray. And he tells them to go on, you know, go on ahead of me. And so they're in the boat, and the storm comes. And then they look out. And by the way, this is the second time a storm has happened when they're at sea. There, there's another passage a few chapters before when um, Jesus is in the boat and a storm comes. And he, tell, he just like, they wake him up. He's asleep. They wake him up. He stands up and he just tells the wind and, and rain, like, be still. And like, psh, you know, just like sits like a dog. You know, just obeys immediately. And they look out and they see Jesus walking on the water. Which, imagine, it's not like, it's not smooth water. I think when, I mean, I've imagined in the past, like, he's walking across, like, glass water. But it's like, it's windy, wavy water. And Jesus is so powerful over it, he's just, like, strolling across it. And I, I wonder if Peter, just kind of in the back of, my, of his mind, is like, man, remember the last time, like, we were on a boat and it was storming and Jesus did that crazy cool thing? What if, like, what if I went out there and walked with him? And Peter, Peter calls out, Jesus, if it's you, command me to come to the water, to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And then, like, the coolest thing ever happens to Peter. He gets out of the boat, and he starts walking on water to Jesus. But then... The gospel records that Peter starts thinking about the things that he can't control. He starts, one of the things that you can control the least, by the way, the wind. Like No one has control over the wind. Peter starts looking around at the wind, and that's when he begins to sink. And what I want to, what I want to suggest to you is that this is a picture of anxiety. What Peter is experiencing here. Because at its heart, anxiety is rooted in the fear of being unable to control things. It's, the, it's struggling with the fear of being unable to control things that we want to control. Peter looks around, he's standing in a storm, he's not in control of it at all, and he starts to sink. And my question to you is, what do you turn to when you are afraid of sinking? What are the things that you go to when you're afraid of sinking? This is why I think pornography is so tempting for so many of us. Pornography is so tempting because the temptation comes when you're feeling stressed, usually. When the storm of life is coming upon you. And it offers you a place where you can escape that for a bit and feel better. What do you turn to when you're sinking? This is why I think for so many of us, our relationship with food is so complicated. Because perhaps we turn to food when we are feeling out of control. And so we binge eat. Or maybe we're, maybe we're scared of 
of all the other things that we feel like we can't control, but you know what? The one thing that I know I can control, and I'm so scared of how I'm perceived and what my body looks like, the one thing that I know I can control about it is what I put in it. And so I'm going to limit that, even if it's really bad for me. Or I'm going to overexercise my body, even if it's not good for me. Because this, it's going to make me feel like at least I have control over something. This is why our relationship with alcohol is so complicated. Because we start to think about that party that's coming up. And all the social anxiety that comes with it. Am I going to say something stupid? Am I going to do something stupid? You know what? I'd rather just not even know, so I'm just going to get blacked out. See, what's at the... If, if one of you came to me and was like, I got blacked out drunk this past weekend, like, the thing that I would want to talk more about is not like the fact that you got blacked out drunk. And more, I would be more curious is like, why? Why is it that when, when we are going into a, a setting, into a social setting, which by the way, oh my goodness, you want to feel out of control in something? Like, go to a social setting at the University of Texas. Right? Like, maybe sometimes even RUF feels that way. I'm sorry if it does. I don't want it to. (laughs) But we feel, we feel like the angst and the fear of that, and we can't control it. And so, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to medicate that. J. Cole, rapper. Any J. Cole fans out here? Yeah? All right, let's go. Pete Davis got me on the J. Cole. It's his fault. Um, so I've been listening to his stuff this summer. And there's a song of his called Friend on his album, K.O.D. And it's a, a lot of it's about his struggle and the struggle he's seen of, of just addiction. And listen, listen to what he says. There's all sorts. I'm not going to rap it. I can't. I wish I could. I really want to be a rapper. I'm in like a big rap phase right now. So if anyone's got some good stuff, hit me up. But anyway... J. Cole says there's all sorts of trauma from drama that children see. Type of stuff that normally would call for therapy. But you know just how it go in our community. Keep that stuff inside. It don't matter how hard it be. Fast forward. Them kids is grown and they blow in trees and popping pills due to chronic anxiety. How do, how do we... How is J. Cole saying we medicate our anxiety? Popping pills. Not in a healthy way, by the way. Some people need pills for anxiety, and that's a good thing. Not, that's a whole other topic. Listen to where he goes. Uh, later in the song, he says, I know you say it helps. I know I'm not trying to offend, but I know depression and drug addiction don't blend. Here's what J. Cole is saying. Here's what all of these things that we turn to when we're sinking are saying. Is that if we try to save ourselves with those things, we will drown. It's like pulling on a door that only opens and you push it. And so, as Peter comes to realize this, as the storm and the waters are coming over him, he does the only thing he can do. He does the same thing my friend Joe did. He cries out, Lord, save me. And this is actually something beautiful that Christians have that helps us make sense 
of the storms and the suffering in our life. Listen to what Tim, how Tim Keller explains it in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Great book, by the way, if you're looking for something to read. He says, Christianity teaches that, unlike Buddhism, suffering is real. Christianity teaches, unlike karma, that suffering is often unfair. Christianity teaches that, unlike secularism, suffering is not meaningless. Suffering is not meaningless. The purpose to it. And though we are not promised clarity in this life, if faced rightly, suffering can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. What Dr. Keller is saying is that God is not powerless in the storm of life. In fact, he works through it. So second point, my final point, God's salvation. After Peter cries out, Lord, save me, I want you to see like what <laughs> Jesus, it says Jesus immediately is there pulling him out. Jesus doesn't like kind of cross his arms and be like, I'm going to let you flail for a little bit because you were looking at me and walk on that water and then you got scared about the wind and all. So I'm going to let you feel that for a little bit. Peter cries out the next thing right after he says, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus puts his hand out and saves him. And this is a picture. It's a picture of Jesus immediately coming to Peter's aid. It's a picture of God's salvation. The second time my friend Joe almost died, I was with him for this one. Um, we were 14, 15 very pubescent at this point in our lives. Um, neither of us had really hit our growth spurt, both extremely skinny. And we went to a father-son camp out with our dads in California. And kind of the big event of this camp out was that we were going to go whitewater rafting. So what you need to know about this, about Joe's dad for the purpose of the story Joe's dad is a mountain of a man. Played basketball. He, he did two sports in college at Auburn. He played basketball and was a weightlifter, which usually those two things don't go together because basketball players have these big, long arms, but his dad did both, and his dad was my high school basketball coach. And I remember like, I, would be, I would be in the weight room with, like, you know, trying to bench press, like, the, the bar with, like, the tens on each side, like, you know, just trying to get up. And Coach Deegan would come in afterwards and just, like, very low-key, not trying to shame us, but, like, put a few more, a few more weights on and, like, just do curls with, like, the thing I was trying to bench press. I mean, this guy was enormous. He still is. So, Joe and I, we, we go on this rafting trip, and our, like, rafting bro, who's, like, sitting in the back, you know, kind of, like, telling us about the river and all the waves are coming up. He's like, guys, we got, like, a, what do you call them, Category 4 rapid? Is that what it's called? It's whatever it is, like... Got a Category 4 coming up, guys. It's going to be real fun. Uh, it's called Shark's Tooth, okay? So uh, make, sure you stay, make sure you stay in the raft for this one, okay, guys? And so um, I don't know why he had that accent, but in my head, I'm pretty sure that was it. 100% accurate. And so 
neither Joe nor I had really done a really big rafting trip from it. I mean, we're two bumpkins from North Alabama in California trying to be cool with, like, whitewater rafting, bro. And we're kind of sitting in the back of the boat, and we come to, like, we haven't gotten to shark's tooth yet, but we can see it up in front of us because it's this big, like, rock sticking out with what looks like a tooth, and there's these, like, huge waves going on either side of it. And somehow, as we hit like a tiny little wave, like the, ra- the somehow like the raft kind of goes up like this, and little like eighty pound Joe or whatever he was just kind of goes off the raft into the water before we got to Shark's Tooth. And the super chill raft bro is suddenly panicking because I guess no one ever goes off before you get to Shark's Tooth. It's supposed to happen afterwards. And he's like, Joe, bro, anyone seen Joe? Is he around? And we, no one could find him. Come to find out what we didn't know is that when Joe had bobbed under, when he came back up, he came back up underneath our raft. And so he's stuck under our raft, and we literally cannot find him anywhere for like 30 seconds. And we're getting closer and closer to shark suit, and he's like disappeared in the water. And then about 50 yards from shark's tooth, the raft kind of like hits a rock or something and t- a little bit, and Joe just kind of like pops up like a bobber in the water with his big old yellow helmet. And he's like dazed and not looking good at all. And the raft bro has pulled our raft over to the side so that we can get Joe, but he hasn't gotten it pulled over enough to where we can still reach Joe as he's going, and we're trying to like get out there to him. And we can't. And Joe's like floating past us towards Shark Tooth without a raft. And then Coach Deegan did the most insane act of human strength I've ever seen in my life. Because in one motion, he steps his one big foot out of the raft, puts his arm out, grabs his scrawny high school freshman son by the life jacket, and just goes, whoops, and Joe's like, woof, woof, just back in the raft. And he's totally safe. And that, that is what God's salvation looks like. <laughs> because what saves you is the strength of your Savior. Peter gets this. He gets that as he's sinking around and when he cries out for help, he immediately gets the hand of Jesus. And it's why he writes later, it's why I had Maddie read in 1 Peter 1 through 3, or 1, 1 verse 3 through 7. He's reflecting on everyone's salvation that he's writing to, the church. Look at verse 3. He, Christ, has caused us to be born again. Well, isn't that an interesting phrase? Not you figured it out and are born again. Not you found Jesus acceptable and you accepted him into your heart. You know that phrase, I accepted Jesus into my heart? It's not in the Bible, by the way. It's not in the Bible. He has caused us to be born again. Look later in verse 5 who by God's power are being guarded through faith. What Peter is saying is that God is the one doing the saving through faith. 
And to appreciate what's happening with Peter here, you've got to know that the other time that this storm happens where Jesus is in the boat, and remember I told you, like, Jesus stands up and just tells the water to be still and quiet, and it does, and it sits down, and it gets calm. After Jesus does that, he turns to the disciples and he says, have you no faith? Have you still no faith? You've seen me do all these things. Have you no faith? But what does Jesus say to Peter? Oh, you of a little faith, why did you doubt? Do you see that this is an improvement? Earlier, Peter had no faith. What is saving him here? Even though he's doubting. Even though he's doubting. Oh, you of little faith. Here's the thing. You aren't saved by the strength of your faith. You aren't saved by the strength of your faith. You're saved by the object of your faith. You're saved by the one in whom your faith is in. What we think Christianity looks like is it looks like walking on water, like doing awesome stuff for God. And maybe, maybe you had like a mountaintop experience at some point in your life where you like went to a camp or you went on a mission trip or you rang a bell or walked an aisle or something awesome happened and you kind of had this walking on water experience and then you came home and started to struggle and you started to sink and your conclusion was, well, I guess that wasn't for real. But what I'm here to tell you is don't you see that... It is so easy if you have that experience for you to put your faith in that experience. Like if someone asks you, are you a Christian? And you, be, and you answer about, yeah, like I walked this aisle one time. Or like, yeah, I had this like amazing experience one time. But your faith isn't in the strength of your faith. Your, your hope is not in the strength of your faith. Your hope is not in an experience. It's, your hope is not in a date that you walked down an aisle. Your hope is in a person named Jesus. And you can have a little faith in a strong object of your faith. And that's what saves you. Don't you see that the Christian life, as we're seeing it here and as it's depicted all throughout the Bible, it's not a walking on water experience. You know what the Christian life looks like? It looks like sinking over and over and over again and every time crying out for help. Martin Luther, when he, write, when he nailed the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg Chapel, the first thing, thesis number one, is that the Christian life is a life of repentance. That's what the life of being a Christian is. Calling out for help. It's why Peter, in Acts chapter 15, when the Jerusalem council is gathered before him, and there's these people who are saying to these new Gentile converts, Okay, yeah, like I know you believe in Jesus, but you also still need to do something. You need to get circumcised, and that'll make you right with God. It's Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus plus law. Jesus plus obedience. Jesus plus a strong faith. Peter stands up in the council, and he says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. That's it. We are only saved by grace through faith in him. And all the faith that is required of you is that you would cry out to him. That you wouldn't try to save yourself by, by pulling on a door that only pushes. 
Jesus is the door is pushing the door open, calling out for him. And so I want you to see, I want you to see that, and I'll close with this. Jesus doesn't explain the storm to them, but he enters into it. And some of you may be in a storm right now, or you've seen storms happening in the world around you, and you're wondering why is Jesus doing this? If God is real, if he's good, why is this happening? And Jesus shows up in the boat, and he doesn't, he doesn't explain it all to them, but I want you to see what he's doing. First, he's praying for them. In verse 23, he's withdrawn while they're in the boat. He's withdrawn on the mountain, and he's praying. He is praying for his disciples who are in the storm. And Romans 8.34 says Jesus is doing the same thing for you if you're in Christ. Paul says that Christ is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus is praying for you now, just like he is for the disciples. Second, not only is he praying for them in the storm, crying out to God for them and his Father in the storm, he comes to them in the storm. He's not removed from them in the storm. He walks towards them. He's with them. He doesn't forget them. If you're in a storm, you're not forgotten. And third, he answers their cries. He answers the cry, their cries to save them. And, and here's what you need to know. The way that Jesus ultimately does that, the way that Jesus ultimately answers the cries, all of our cries, about the storms that all of us either have been through or will one day go through, the way that Jesus finally answers that is that Jesus cried out and his cries weren't answered. Jesus cried out and his cries weren't answered so that your cries always will be. Because on the cross, Jesus quotes from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No answer. On the cross, Jesus goes to hell for you. He goes to hell for his people to rescue them. He cries out, and his cries aren't answered. He, the psalm that he's quoting, Psalm 22, it, go, it goes on to say this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Jesus fulfills this psalm so that your cries for help will never go ignored so that one day the storm may cease for forever. So what, what, I would, what I would want for you is that you would cry out to Jesus. If you're here, and maybe you're a believer and you've messed up and you remember the time when it felt like you were walking on water, what I want you to know is that the Christian life is a life of repentance and weakness. Cry out to him. Maybe you aren't a Christian. What I would, what I would want you to know is that you can't save yourself in this storm of life. Repent. Repent. Cry out to him. He will come immediately. Because I promise storms are coming. They are. And listen, nothing brings the storm of this life into, into focus, the storm of this life into focus like death does. And I know that some of you were really affected by the recent passing of Jackson Borg. Um, he was a recent graduate from UT, and um, I, didn't, I didn't know Jackson, but I know a lot of people who really loved him in the Young Life community, and our brothers and sisters in Young Life. 
And you need to know that Jesus is not absent from that storm. And I've been so comforted to hear of Jackson's love for Jesus and the hope that he had in Jesus. And that that Jesus offers us in the midst of heartache and tragedy and a storm, hope. And Jesus holds that hope out to you, even hope in death, that when you are facing the storm of death, you can have hope. And when the disciples realize who Jesus is, they worship him. That's, what they end, that's what, how they end, they worship him. And my question is, do you know who, who Jesus is? And if you do, only he is worthy of your life and your worship. So cry out to him, worship him, because he's the only one who can save you. Let's pray. Father, it is true that there are so many storms going on in our lives. There are storms happening that are said and unsaid, even in this room. Lord, we cry out to you on behalf of the Borg family and the Young Life community. And we pray, O God of comfort, that you would be with them in that storm. And we thank you that you offer hope in the midst of that. Lord, we pray for people in the path of Hurricane Florence, the people in North and South Carolina and Virginia. And we pray, Lord, that even as you are Lord over that storm, that you would spare life and that you would be at work in the midst of all the sadness in this world. And we thank you that the way that you ultimately have been at work is that you would send your son into the storm for us. And so we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.